Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38. And in just a moment, we'll start looking at verse 1. Isaiah 30, like I said, 38. That's right, yes. 22 years ago, in the summer of 2000, my family and I were on vacation. <clears throat> we were at a movie called The Perfect Storm. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, I'll never forget the name of it because of what happened. In the middle of that, I sneezed and my eyes crossed. And I looked at my wife and said, my eyes are crossed. And guess what she said? Well, uncross them. That's my wife right there, buddy. She's like, and I said, well, I would if I could, but I didn't cross them, so I do not uncross them. And uh, the rest of that week, it got a little worse. My eyes shut, one of my eyes shut. And some people say, how did you drive? I said, like this. And I came, I went to the, a doctor there, an optometrist, and he told me, he said, your vision is 20-20, but you really need to go to a doctor when you get back to Birmingham. You, need to, you may have a brain tumor. He said, something's wrong. And so I go back. He was an optometrist. I went to an ophthalmologist when I went back and said uh, same thing. He said, you got 20-20 vision, but I think I know what you have. And so he leaves all these patients out there that were waiting uh, and he took me behind the back door, went down the hallway to his friend who was a doctor, a neurologist. He walks in and uh, the doctor said, what's going on? He said, I think this guy's got myasthenia gravis. Would you check him? Some people that have MG don't get it diagnosed for years, but I got mine diagnosed within just a few weeks. And then uh, they set up they did an x-ray and saw that I had a tumor in my thymus gland, so they did a thymectomy, which means they opened up my sternum and like heart surgery, and that's where your thymus is. It's right here, and they took it out. I remember the night before my surgery, my oldest daughter at that time was still at home, and I, I was telling her about, you know, I'm going to have a scar and all that. She said, well, look at it this way, Dad. You'll always be number one. <laughs> I said, thank you, Lindsay. That was really sweet. Great. And so, this is me after the surgery right there. And uh, that uh, is my wife, obviously. And that was going home. That was outside my office at Gardendale's First Baptist Church in just north of Birmingham. And <clears throat> we went home, and for weeks I had to stay in bed. And I couldn't do anything, really. And Donna had to dress me and take care of me and all that. And I didn't know if I'd ever preach again. And I was taking all kinds of medicine, steroids and everything else and started gaining weight like crazy. And I was just praying, God, heal me. Heal me, Lord. Heal me. And I prayed, I guess, every day for 22 years for God to heal me. But I still have myasthenia gravis. The left side of my face uh, is always kind of drooping. And uh, I didn't grow the beard because of that. But it doesn't hurt, you know. 
the more I can cover this up, the better, right? So, uh, but I prayed and I asked God to heal me and I'm doing better. I mean, I can do what I want to do pretty much and I've continued to preach. But every morning, I ask the Lord to heal me. And he hasn't, so why? My mom got healed. And she wasn't even saved. And she didn't even pray for it. Somebody else prayed for her. So why do I not get healed? Why do you not get healed? Or why do some people get healed and some people don't? And some people get partially healed and some people get to go home and be with the Lord. So what's going on? I don't know. But I do know that even when God doesn't heal or if he does heal, and I'm not just saying, I'm not protecting God, but I have learned that in the healing or not in the healing, either way, God is good. God is good and God knows what he's doing and God will use even sickness in your life to make you more like his son, Jesus. You know, we think that God's all about our comfort. With all due respect, God is not about our comfort. He is about our Christ-likeness. And if going through something will make you more like Jesus, he will allow you to go through it. But why do people, some get healed and some don't? We're going to look at a righteous king today, Hezekiah, and very godly man, very righteous. He ruled during a time when Isaiah was the prophet. And during his reign, he became deathly sick. And Isaiah was told by God to go to Hezekiah and tell him, you're going to die. Get your house in order. You're going to die. But when he prayed and wept, God healed him. And the Bible says he relented, he changed his mind. And then it says that he gave him 15 additional years. So why do some people get healed? Some people don't. I want to talk to you today about the mystery of healing. Three things. Number one, as you think about the mystery of healing, and there's some there's a little piece of paper if you got it on your way and you can take some notes if you'd like. Consider the fact that number one, God decides the day of your death. Now we're gonna talk soberly here for a second. And uh, verse one says, in these days Hezekiah became mortally ill. That means he would die of this sickness. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for your you shall die and not live. The Lord gave a solemn, somber word to Isaiah to relay it to King Hezekiah. He told him, death is at your door. You're near death. And we know that he meant it when he used that phrase, thus saith the Lord. Normally in the Bible, when God says that, it's done. It's, it's pretty much over. That's it. Yet, God was gracious in his message to Hezekiah. Did you see what he said? Before he died, he didn't just 
taking his life. He said, set your house in order. I'm going to give you a little time before you die and you take care of business. You go settle your affairs with anybody else. Basically, if you owe them any money or whatever, pay it. Prepare yourself, prepare your family, prepare your kingdom, whatever. Get your life in order. Set your house in order because you're going to die. Note it was that God who decided when and how Hezekiah would die. Hezekiah was the most powerful man in that whole region, and he had no say-so over his death. Do you hear what I just said? I don't care how rich you are, how smart you are, I don't care what seat you sit in or what is on your door at work, I'm telling you, when it's your time to die, there's not anything you can do about it. God sets that date. God sets both dates that will be on your tombstone. God sovereignly set the date of your birth, and God has already set the, state of your, the, the, the day of your death. You say, this is the most comforting sermon I've heard in a long time. <laughs> We're getting there, all right? We're getting there. And let me just add to it while I'm here. We're all going to die. <laughs> Bible says, Hebrews 9, 27, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Not after, listen, when you die, you don't cease to exist. Well, that's what I believe. Well, you believe wrong. It's not cessation of spirit, it's death. You keep on living in heaven or hell based on what you did with Jesus Christ in this lifetime. And then, you're, you know, it's not gonna, you're, not, there's, you're not gonna come back as somebody else. We don't believe in reincarnation. You're not gonna come back as a butterfly or a bird or whatever. No. And you don't get another chance, you know, at it. And... You're going to die, but your body's going to die, but your spirit is going to leave your body and live forever in heaven or hell. And your present age has nothing to do with when you'll die. No child in this church is guaranteed adulthood. No teenager is promised that he or she will get married, have children, and grow up. No 30-year-old is promised that he'll live to be 60. No 60-year-old is promised he will live to be 80. God has set your birth date. And he's also set your death date. Some say it's not good to think about death. I adamantly disagree. I don't think you're ready to live until you, you think about dying. And to me, dying is just transition from this life to the Lord. And I'm looking forward to that. It's wrong to fear death, but it's not wrong to think about death. And the more you think about death, the more you'll want to live this day for that day. Because you're going to stand before God and give an account. I don't care who you are. You're going to.
One day the Lord will say to you what he said to Hezekiah. Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order. You shall die and not live. Let that sink in for a second. Just be quiet. God has already decided the day of your death. Secondly, as you think about the mystery of healing, think about this. Prayer can change the mind of God. Now, I see some of y'all bristling out there. God doesn't change. Well, let's talk about that. Look at verses two and following. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, prayed to the Lord. Hezekiah wept and he prayed. He asked God, please reverse this decision. Notice the raw passion in his heartfelt prayer. He said, remember now, O Lord, I beseech you how I've walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept and he didn't just weep, he wept bitterly, bitterly. Have you ever wept bitterly? I have. Hezekiah wasn't perfect, but he had tried to live a godly life. And he told the Lord, Lord, I've tried. Now we all know that anything God does for us is by grace and not by works. So God didn't heal him because he'd lived a good life. But God changed his mind when he heard his prayer and saw his tears. That's what moved and touched the heart of God. Look at verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord. That's that phrase again. It projects divine authority. Thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I'll add 15 years to your life. Who talks like that? God. God. Notice the short yet gracious reply. Thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David. Hezekiah's prayer reminded God of David's prayer. You want to read David's prayers? Go read the book of Psalms. I read it every day. I love the book of Psalms. And he gave Three succinct, encouraging statements. I want to say this to you. Whenever God speaks into your spirit, it usually will be short, to the point, succinct. And that's exactly what he does here. I've heard your prayer. Say that out loud. I've seen your tears. Say that out loud. Behold, I'll add 15 years to your life. That's a lot. God doesn't elaborate. He, that's a three-point sermon. He did it in about 20 seconds. You say, would you please learn that, Brother Steve? I'm not God. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I'll add 15 years to your life. And then he said, I'm going to do something you didn't ask for. One of the best things about praying is not only does God answer our prayers, but God gives us more than we ask for. Look at this. 
I'll deliver you, verse six, in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I'll defend this city. I won't just give you physical healing. I'll give you national deliverance. I'll give you exceeding abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. Isn't that what Paul said in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21? Don't we, don't we love this verse? Look at this. Now to him who is able. How many of you know that God is able? Amen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, that is exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. God does more than we ask for because he's a good God. Then knowing how hard it was for Hezekiah to fathom what was going on, God said, I'm going to give you a sign just to prove that I'm going to do it. Verse seven, this should be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will cause the shadow on the stairway, which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz to go back 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back 10 steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. Now you ready for this? God stopped the world from turning and made it go backwards until the shadow, the sun was shining seven steps back up, 10 steps back up. Prayer can change the mind of God. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. Does God ever relent and change his mind? We know he does because there are multiple scriptures that say precisely that. So what exactly does it mean for God to change his mind? <coughs> Excuse me. Does that mean that God is uncertain? Does that mean that God is indecisive? Does it mean that he is capricious, that he is impulsive, that he is whimsical? No. God is immutable. God is immutable in his character. His character never changes. He will always be, always has been, is, always will be the sovereign, supreme, holy, loving, righteous, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God. God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. God is on his throne. He is totally in charge. He is the first. He is the last. He is the alpha and the omega. Omega, you didn't elect him to put him on that throne. You can't impeach him to get him off that throne. And he is not going to resign off that throne. He is God. He is on his throne. And he is in charge. He'll always be God. Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Malachi 3, 6 says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Say that with me. I, the Lord, do not change. Now listen, therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. The only reason we're not consumed is because God doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, read it with me, is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then Jesus' own brother, James, said in James 1, 17, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above coming down. Now listen, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation and no shifting shadow. The Lord is immutable his character never changes. The essence of who he is never changes. 
You'll never have to wonder, well, I wonder what kind of mood God is in today. Aren't you glad that God's not moody? Amen? If he did, we'd all be dead. However, in the Bible, there are some times when God said, I'm going to pour out wrath on you because of your sinfulness. And those people repented and God relented. When they repented, God relented and changed his mind and said, okay, you've repented. I changed my mind. You say, where? Glad you asked. In Jeremiah's day, the officials were about, some people were, religious people were about to kill Jeremiah. He had the audacity to say to Judah, if you don't repent, God's going to let the Babylonians come in and wipe us out. And they were mad because he said, you're telling us that we're the people of God and you're telling us that pagans are going to wipe us out? What are you talking about? We're going to kill you. Well, some of the politicians came to Jeremiah's rescue and they said, hey, that's not the way that the people did in Micah's day when he said the same thing that Jeremiah said. Listen to this in Jeremiah 26, verse 19. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all, the Judah, and all Judah put him, that is Micah, to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And the Lord changed his mind. Say it with me. And the Lord changed his mind about the misfortune which he had pronounced against them. But we are committing a great evil against ourselves. Jeremiah went on to say that if you people in this day will change your ways, God will change your mind. God's going to wipe this place out if you don't repent. That's what he's saying. Jeremiah 26 verse 13 says, now, therefore, amend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will change his mind about the misfortune which he's pronounced against you. Same thing with the prophet Amos. God was saying, I'm going to do this horrible thing to discipline my children. Amos said, please don't, O God, and God changed his mind. You say, where is that? Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout, and behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing, and it came about that when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land, that I said, Lord, please pardon. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. And then what about Jonah? Hello. Remember Jonah? He's walking through Nineveh saying, 40 days, you're all going to be killed. In 40 days, Nineveh's going down. It'll be overthrown. And they repented. Even the king repented and God changed his mind. Jonah 3.10, when God saw their deeds that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented. And the word relented means literally he changed his mind. In the New Living Translation, that same verse, it says he changed his mind concerning the calamity which he had declared and he would bring upon them and he did not do it. There are many other biblical examples. I give you for the sake of time, don't have to. I can't, but God would relent when they would repent. God never changes his character, but God graciously changes his decree when we repent. You say, I don't understand that. You don't have to. I, I found out a long time ago that you don't have to act like you know everything. You know, one of the 
bad things about being a pastor, especially with a PhD. Everybody thinks you know everything, and you know what? And I, don't, I know you know I don't, all right? But I'm just saying, I mean, look at me. There's some things we just don't get it. We don't understand, and that's okay. You don't have to know everything. In fact, you can't. We're talking about God, okay? We're gonna go by the book, what he says. That's why I'm, 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 not, I'm not ever going to preach to you something that's not in the word of God. But I don't understand it all, and neither do you. That, and that's okay. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than, my th than your thoughts. Uh, God's, look, I don't care what you scored on the ACT. You are not as smart. You're not even close to being as smart as God. You're not even in kindergarten close to God, all right? I could go farther. I'll stop. <laughs> Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the, this is the doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his unfathomable his ways. The same immutable God responds to our prayers. We prayed for a lady in our church this morning. We anointed her with oil by her husband. She got cancer, bad cancer. We prayed for her this morning. About 10 of us laid hands on her back in my office and prayed for her back in our offices. Right before we did, I read these verses, James 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Just stop right there. Go, go back to that just a second. I never knew the first two parts of this verse were in the Bible growing up. I, all I ever heard was the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I never heard that we were supposed to confess our sins to one another. I never heard that we, I'm not trying to get mad at anybody. I'm just saying, I never heard that we were supposed to pray for one another to be healed. I mean, that's the first part, confess your sins. That sounds like Catholicism. We don't want that, right? And no, we do want it. We, we're supposed to confess our sins to one another. We're supposed to say, look, I'm struggling with so-and-so. Would you pray for me? And that's okay. You know what? When we become weak, God becomes strong. So that, that's in the Bible. Even though I didn't hear it growing up. And I sure didn't hear, pray for one another that you may be healed. That's what the Pentecostals do. You know, we don't want it to be that. Now, oh no, you know, anything like that. Well, you know what? It's in the Bible. I said it's in the Bible. And we're supposed to pray for people to be healed. At the end of this service, we're going to pray for people to be healed. That's how we're going to end the service. If you want to get healed, we're going to pray for you to be healed. And you know what? I can't guarantee you're going to be healed, but I can guarantee you we're going to be praying in faith that you'll be healed. And if God doesn't heal you, or if he does heal you, either way, we're going to give God the glory and the praise. Amen? Amen. You say, that's a cop-out. No, no, that's not a cop-out. Okay, let's read the rest of that. Elijah was a man without nature. Let's just go back and read that whole thing. I've messed that up. Go back to verse 16 very quickly. Read it with me. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then he gives us an example. Read it with me. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. 
Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. You say, Brother Steve, are you want us to go out and pray for rain? You do what God tells you to do. I know of farmers that have prayed for rain and they saw it rain. I know farmers that have prayed for rain and they didn't see it rain. I've prayed for people and they've been healed and I've prayed for people to be healed and they didn't get healed the way I wanted them to get healed. But you know what? I don't understand everything and you don't either. The bottom line is prayer can change the mind of God. And the most powerful tool you have, the most powerful weapon you have is prayer. Why would you want to live in a prayerless life? Why would you want your family to be living out there without anybody praying over them? Why in the world would you not want to pray for your church, especially in these days when the devil has taken down churches left and right? Why would you not want to spend time for yourself in prayer, knowing that you don't have what it takes to do this life and to be successful? You need God. And the way you get hold of God and tap into the Lord is praying. You've got to do it. You've got to. Okay. Talk about healing. God decides the day of our death. Prayer can change the mind of God. And the last part is my favorite part. Whether God heals you or not, give him praise. Give him praise. Let's just praise him right now. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, now, what do you do when you get healed? You praise the Lord. What do you do when you don't get healed? You praise the Lord. Look at verse nine. A writing, that is, I'm journaling now, that's what he's saying, of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said in the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I'm to be deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I will not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I will look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. He said, I'm gonna die. I haven't even lived in half my life. He was thinking about probably what David had said about, you know, average, you know, Life is 70 years, maybe 80 years if you eat granola or something, you know. He didn't say that, but he said this in Psalm 90, verse 10. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. So Hezekiah just acknowledged, you know, that I'm not going to live that long. He said in verse 12, like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up. I mean, you've pulled the stakes up. I, I can't keep the temp up, tent up. You've pulled up the stakes and you've removed me. And as a weaver, I rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. I composed my soul until morning like a lion. So he breaks all my bones. From day until night, you make an end of me like a swallow, like a crane. So I twitter, I moan like a dove. My eyes look wistfully to the heights. Oh, Lord, I'm oppressed. Be my security. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me. He himself has done it. I will wander about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. That's not a man that's just saying, Lord, bless me today. 
He's pouring out his heart to God. He's crying out to God. He's come that close to death and it changed his life. Oh Lord, verse 16. Notice the O there. Get the O back in your prayers. Don't just come in there and just start talking to God. Come to the Lord and just say, oh Lord, and just be quiet for a little bit. Oh Lord. Oh, let's say it now. Oh Lord. Hmm. By these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health. Let me live. He said, that's what I said to the Lord. Oh, Lord, restore me to health and let me live. Don't miss the passion of that. And then Hezekiah understood that the Lord was his only hope. Look at verse 17. Lo, for my own welfare, I had great bitterness. It is you who kept my soul from the pit of darkness, of nothingness. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol, that is the place of the dead, cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. It is the living who give thanks to you as I do today. A father tells his sons about your faithfulness. And then we see that God used some kind of medicinal application to heal him. Look at verse 20. The Lord will surely save me. No, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay, okay. Let me go to verse 20 and then we'll read that. The Lord will surely save me so we will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. And then the Bible says, now Isaiah, Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Sometimes God uses medicine. That's okay. Then in verse 22, after he was healed, Hezekiah wanted to go to the temple to praise God for his healing. Look at verse 22. Then Hezekiah said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? You know, when he prayed, he didn't know if he was going to get healed or not. He didn't know. But he prayed. God healed him. And he gave him praise. And even though we don't know what he would have done had God not healed him, I do believe he walked with the Lord close enough that he would have said, okay, you don't want to heal me. You're through with me here. Take me home. And I'll be fine. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that we have a great God to praise. And I've been, when I think about things that I've been through, whether it's myasthenia gravis or whatever, I hadn't been through anything like Job. Job was the most righteous man on earth and yet God allowed Satan to tear him to pieces. He lost his crops, he lost his cattle, he lost his animals, and he lost his children. Ten children in one day. And then he lost his health. And did he get mad at God? No. The Bible says in Job 1, Job arose, tore his clothes, his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. And by the way, that's, you came in that way and you're going out that way. You're not taking anything with you. All that stuff you fret over all day long, you're going to leave it all behind. 
If you ever hear anybody at a funeral say, well, how much did he leave behind? Just go up to him and say, all of it. All of it. <clears throat> Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's say the last part together. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether he's giving or taking, blessed be the name of the Lord. Your life is not yours anyway. He gave it to you. And he will take it back when he's ready. It's not yours. It's his. Your breath is his. Your mind is his. You are his. He told in Job 2, he said, Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And if you read the last part of Job, God blessed him twofold. Even with children, he gave him 10 new children. That means he had 20. 10 on earth and 10 in heaven. Let's all stand up. No matter what happens to you from now till the day you die, I want you to take time every day to give God glory and praise. I'm gonna give you Dr. Rogers, the guy that was here 33 years before me. I'm in my 17th year. I'll never make it <laughs> as long as he did. But he, his favorite verse was Psalm 34, verse one. If he ever signed your book, a book he wrote for you or, or a Bible or anything, he'd always sign Psalm 34, verse one. This is where we need to get in life. Let's say it together right now, good and slow and good and strong. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's thank God for that promise and for that verse. Amen. All right, let's keep going here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Short, powerful verses. Read it out loud, good and strong, good and slow. Here we go. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Some of you say, I don't know the will of God. There's three things right there. That's the will of God for you. Rejoice always. Always give, go back please. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. Let's give thanks for those verses right now. Amen. Now, look at it just a moment. It says, in everything give thanks. But how many of you want to grow and mature? Anybody out there? All right. The next verse is, for everything give thanks. It's one thing to be in a mess and praise God that he's with you in the mess. It's another thing to believe so much so in the sovereignty of God that you even thank him for the mess, Amen. for everything. Let's go to Ephesians very quickly and we'll be through. Ephesians 5.20, read it with me now. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Let's thank him for Ephesians 5, 20. amen. Now, 
Do you remember James 5, 16? Remember that verse? Let's read that together one more time. Therefore, you confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. 